At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, we invite you to meet the press. Meet the press. Meet the press. Welcome to 1947, the Meet the Press podcast. My guest today is actor Alan Alda. You, of course, know him from many roles, including MASH and his Emmy Award-winning run even on The West Wing. But he has something of a second career as an advocate for science and communication, and actually the combination of the two. In 2009, the Alan Alda Center for Communicating Science was established at Stony Brook University on Long Island to help professionals who work in complex fields communicate more clearly with, you know, everyday people like idiots like me. So his new book is called, If I Understood You, Would I Have This Look on My Face? Uh, You can just imagine what its look is or go look at the book right now. It compiles lessons and stories from his work with the center. Alan Alda, welcome to 1947, sir. Thank you. (laughs) I feel like I've gone back in time. That's the I know. I I tell people it's like we're in a time machine. I'll give you the quick significance, 1947. I'm sorry. I should know that. That's okay because I know you didn't read your Meet the Press history book before. No, uh, no. I was absent that day. I'm sorry. That is the year Meet the Press was born. It was actually oh, it was born oh, as a radio great. show, and this is actually our seventieth seventieth uh, year. Well, you you don't sound that old. I, so. you know, well, you know that's 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 the other thing. But man, I am forgetful. You know. So <laughs> um, let me start with this. Tell me why Stony Brook. I'm just curious. You well, know, how that's you got an there. interesting thing because when I realized that I thought it would be a good idea to train scientists to communicate better while they were learning to be scientists. Whenever I found myself in a university, I would talk with the president and ask if they didn't think it would be a good idea to do that. And the only place, the only university that was interested was Stony Brook University, which happened to be not far from where I live. So that was really a good piece of luck. But they got behind it 100 percent. And since then, about eight years ago, uh, since then, we've trained over. 8,000 scientists and medical professionals. So it's really been, and not just in this country, universities all over the country, but Australia, we're going to Oslo and Dublin and and Scotland. It's it's just wonderful how it's spreading. You know, it's interesting, uh, and this this seems like a no-brainer idea, a great idea, because we, we all know the stereotype of scientists in general, right? They're so sort of focused on their work, um, and they're focused on on precision and numbers that worrying about how to spin something almost is antithetical to who they are. Right. Cause it, 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 and so uh, on paper, but what is it about scientists in general that you have found that is, that they need this training? They need the, you know, what's interesting. I think they need the training exactly as much, no more and no less than all the rest of us. And I, I started to realize that it applies to everybody when the scientists started saying how helpful it was, not just in communicating with the public and with Congress and funders, but with one another. And then in an even more personal way, one scientist said, this has saved my marriage. 
And that that kind of revelation was what got me into writing the book, because the book is what we've learned training scientists that really applies to all of us, parents, children, families, business, the boss talking to an employee and vice versa, selling. I mean, it's all communication. And I was just reading a couple of you. You're probably you probably know this better than I do. But I was just reading a couple of uh, pieces by uh, experts in diplomacy who said you can't do diplomacy without reference to the other per person's point of view. Right. How does the other person see things? Well, you can the, do diplomacy that way. It just doesn't. Well, you, it's not very <laughs> diplomatic. How's that? <laughs> it's, the, it's the diplomacy that leads to a bombing. I think. Yeah. Um, it's. It's interesting. I mean, it's. I was going through your book, and I thought, in some ways, these are based, like you just pointed out, this is more about life lessons. Just simply put yourself in the other person's shoes, or at a minimum, understand the argument against what you're doing, in yeah. order to explain to them why your new, your in the case of a scientist, your new facts, which in this case, a, a scientist in many ways sometimes discovers new facts, why your new facts should, why these new facts should change your mind. But boy, we are in a culture now, Alan, we don't, we don't think anybody else's opinion matters at all. And, 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 and curiously, we're, our, our culture has begun to regard science as just another opinion. And on the contrary, it's based on evidence and observation and weighing the evidence and applying skepticism to it, not only by other scientists, but by the scientist himself or herself. The really good scientists attack their own work before anybody else gets a chance to. Right. I almost wonder if I feel as if uh, let's take the climate change debate. It's obviously in the middle. And I say debate. If you go to the scientific community, there's no debate. And yeah. here we are in the political community, and there's this raging debate. It, I don't understand, and it's funny. You, it, it, for, I, I kind of wish um, th those on the climate, those who, those who are really concerned about climate change, simply invite them. Hey, go hire some scientists and conduct your own study. Well, you I know, think some, like, of, some of them have done that, but they, they some of them have paid, I understand from what I read in the paper yeah. that some studies have been uh, done. And they, they 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 make a big deal about the ones that throw doubt rather than including all the information. It's it's easy to uh, to throw doubt because there's hardly a study of any kind, in my experience anyway, that doesn't end with the idea that more research needs to be done because you never know everything with one bit of research. But that's sometimes taken to mean we don't know anything about it. On the contrary, we know a great deal about it. What uh, you uh, also use an anecdote that my boss um, uses uh, quite a bit, and it's something that we we I, we almost wrestle with sometimes uh, in our newsroom, which is you quote an old Don Hewitt saying from sixty minutes, <laughs> yeah, right, which is tell me a story, and the reason I laugh when I read that part of it, I'm like, oh my God, Andy Lack is the man who runs NBC oh, News. Yeah. Andy yeah. is an acolyte of Don Hewitt. Andy worked for Don <laughs> Hewitt, and Andy loves to talk about. Don Hewitt always said, tell me a story, you know. Yeah, Don said that to me at least four times a year. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a reason it, it is we learn. I mean, it's like I watch the, the documentaries right now are uh, this is sort of a golden age for documentaries. 
but they're not the documentaries we remember from 30 or 40 years ago. You know, facts. Most of them are not. That's no, true. they're now stories, and they're more popular than ever. If that doesn't yeah. underscore this power that you write about in here of telling a story. Well, I, I think scientists have really pinpointed with the uh, MRI test, a functional MRI test, that uh, when you're telling a story, you're literally syncing up your brain with the listener's brain. And it's as though they're seeing the story happen in the same way that you saw. For instance, if you tell them the story of a movie you saw, the same parts of your brain are activated as were activated when you were watching the movie. And that syncing up surely has something to do with how much more powerful your message is if it comes in the form of a story. So how would you use how would you advise Ted Cruz and Al Franken uh, to use your methods to communicate better with each other? Well, I I I love the stories about how in the old days they'd argue on the floor of the Senate and then they go out and have a beer together and tell stories. I also love I don't think that happens anymore. Right. Uh, I also love the stories that are so similar about George Mitchell in Ireland uh, having peace talks. But during the day, they would argue. And at night, they were forbidden at dinner to say anything having to do with the arguments they were having during the day. They could only talk about their childhood experiences. And the same thing is presented in the play called Oslo, where they had the talks between the uh, Israelis and the Palestinians. And that seems that personal element seems to be over and over again emphasized as a way to break down these tremendous barriers to communication. And it's essentially what we teach when we teach uh, better communication through improvisation training. You know, we, we teach scientists improvisation. Yeah, you're going to make think, them SNL care. I mean, you know, one of these no, are going to be a breakout yeah. star, right? Become the next SNL <laughs> character. I hope not. <laughs> no, the, the, in fact, we always make a big deal out of saying this is not how you probably think of improvisation. It's not comedy improvisation. It's not going to turn anybody into an actor. But what it does is enable you to be connected to the people you're trying to communicate with. You take them in. You allow them into your consciousness. And you that through that connection, there's a personal warmth, a kind of intimate tone that develops. Something happens to your face, to your voice, and it happens to the other person's face, too. So you can see the connection building. And then the other person uh, or you are a little bit less likely to listen just long enough to hear the cue for you to say your favorite thing again. Rather, you build on what they say and they build on what you say. It's it sounds magical, but it it and it kind of has to take place in person. There has to be human interactions you can build on to make this happen. I don't think you can read a list of tips and find out how to do this. Well, I was just going to say, or how about the next sort of in the middle phase of how we interact today? We don't interact face to face. I know. And that, I think, makes it easier for us to not feel empathy for the other side. And that's why we still have this drive to express what we have to say with an emotional tag on it. And that's why we use smileys and emoji, because we want to make sure that it's not going to be misread. When that happens, when that smiley goes down, that's an indication that there's still a hunger in us 
to connect at more than an ideational level. And that's, that's what we have to hang on to because it's so easy to lose that. Empathy, I talk a lot in the book about empathy, and I don't think empathy makes you sympathetic or compassionate. Yeah. It's just a tool. To me, it's a great tool for communication. It can also be a tool in the hands of a torturer or a bully. No, it can or, be manipulative. I mean, that's the sure. thing. All these tools could be used in, in ways that you, you end up manipulating somebody. That's right. And nobody likes to be manipulated. Right. But if you want to do good, if you want to make a positive contribution in somebody's life, for instance, a doctor who wants the patient to follow uh, the doctor's advice, it's, studies have shown, or at least one study has shown, that when the patient regards the doctor as empathic, the patient is 19% more likely to follow the doctor's orders. That's, a, that's, to me, a very big number. That could include saving lives, it seems to me. So that, that letting the other person know you really are hearing them, you, you're really in tune with them, makes a big difference. So I started trying to figure out, because not everybody can go to improv classes. Right. And while I was writing the book, I saw myself changing and it was because I was walking around on the street or in shops or in conversation with a friend. I was paying attention to their face. I was practicing. Hmm. And then a scientist did a study on that with a, a small cohort of people and found out that it, doing that, noticing the other person's face, the other person's clothing, hair, any details about them, tends on standardized empathy tests to raise your score. So I think that's fascinating. There are many other yeah, things. But how people... can I read somebody's facial expression if I'm busy tweeting? Well, that's... I, mean, I have to look up and actually tough. see but, the person. But here's the thing. This is interesting. Once you get pretty good at reading other people, mm -hmm. you can also apply it in a way that gives you an idea of what they're probably thinking or feeling as you write to them or write for them. If you write an op-ed, you don't know who's going to read it or when or where they'll be. Yeah. But you can figure out roughly, as you put down one sentence, where they are in their head so that the next sentence will follow it in a good way. Not just a logical way, but a way that connects with them. And I think once you get pretty good at imagining or judging fairly well, estimating what's going on in the other person, you can carry it over into all kinds of communication. Well, look, in politics, there's a poll question that many pollsters believe tells you more about a presidential race than any. It's, it's does this person care about people like me? Right. That's it, great. It, it, yeah, I've read that. It's that so is, yeah, it's a very, and it really is, you know, it's how Bill Clinton beat George H.W. Bush. People thought George H.W. Bush was more qualified to be president, had more experience, all those right things. And then when you ask the question, well, which one of them relates to you, essentially, cares about well, that's how Bill Clinton won. You know, that's how you win in politics. But there is a point where also people will say to politicians where you can overdo it, right? Oh, he's just telling yeah. me what I want to hear. Yeah, I, you know, I thought Bill Clinton was probably going to be a, a good president, but I always suspected it when he said, I feel your pain. It seemed to go, it seemed to be slick to me. I think there has to be. That phrase went over the line for you. Like you yeah, had already I mean, it. then it was like, oh, he's yeah. trying to. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because if you feel my pain, tell me about what. You know, <laughs> I have wanna, you been I unemployed? Wanna, right. Have you been on a, you know. D yeah. Yeah. I want some details. What, what 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 pain are you feeling? Right. But but the if you really are having 
a sensation of, in fact, that's how science, uh, brain science seems universally, or at least for the most part, to describe what empathy is, what's happening when empathy takes place. The person who's being empathic seems to have the understanding of what the other person is going through because for a moment they feel the same thing. They mm -hmm. have the same emotion. And it's important to be able to get out of that emotion uh, because you don't want to get swamped by it. Uh, it's no good for a doctor to say, oh, my God, you've got plantar fasciitis. Right, right. You know, that's liable to scare the patient. Um, I'm going to shift gears here and, and talk to you about um, you, you, your legacy of MASH. And I want to ask a, a couple of different questions. One is sure. – why in this day and age where we redo everything and we remake everything in in Hollywood these days uh, and who knows maybe I'm maybe you'll have, maybe you have a scoop um why hasn't there been an attempt to try mash again I have no idea I I in a way I hope they don't uh, I, mean, I I understand I think I know why you say that but why why do you say that why do you hope they don't Well I say it because we were a very lucky collection of people working on on something that was really bigger than all of us. And we knew that. It was the experience that real people went through. And I always feel I, that nobody knows why it was so successful. But I think one really important element was that we tried to respect the fact that people were fighting for their lives and the lives of other people right. during that war in that medical hospital and we we told stories about life and death and things that that really count in spite of the fact that you know it was funny and often it was silly but it always had that underpinning and then there's this other thing at the top layer of it which has to do with what we've been talking about but i don't want i don't mean to no to, i don't go please i don't mean to sound like i'm hawking the book but we we discovered something that I used for the rest of my life, which was we didn't disappear from one another's company while they were lighting the set for the next shot. We most of the time hmm. sat in a circle and talked to each other. Sometimes we'd go over lines. So there was business, you know, doing the doing the business of the of the show. But most of the time we just made fun of one another and laughed. Hey, where'd you film and, it, by the way? Pardon? Well, we, well on was a, it in Palm Springs or a sound sound stage is Twentieth Century Fox, oh. and the exteriors in the mountains in Malibu. It was in Malibu, where, okay. the, where the where the movie had been shot. Gotcha. And and we we took that spirit that we had in the circle of chairs and carried it with us across the stage, oh. right onto the set, right up until the time the person said the first line, and that connection we had kept us going through the scene only did the scene with See, the lines you're making the, the case for why we need another need this again because look the import I, here's what i've always believed the importance of mash was it was at a time when you were providing a a, a place for all of america to show some empathy to vietnam but you knew vietnam was so controversial at the time right so it was like it was the wink and the nod oh yeah it's about korea no it's not but that's okay right it was about providing this um, it's and at a time when when we didn't revere the military the way society reveres it today, I think we always we forget that right what 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 where we were as a mindset back in this in the seventies. Well, I I think the show was in the to some extent in the tradition of the uh, service comedy. 
which dates back. Yes, yes, very not, much. Not, yes, not just the World War II. Well, think it what even was goes it? Back to the Civil War. Goober's peas yes. was really a knock on the general who did gave them peas they didn't like to eat. So the service comedy is always in defense of the the guy on the, in the mud. The rank and file, right? The 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 yeah. the, 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 the private the rank and file against the brass. And it the reason I say what you were. I honestly, even if you visit a war zone, even if you visit Afghanistan, Iraq, you don't know what the everyday life is. And we now know more and more of the wounds of this never-ending war. So there's part of me that wishes there was a MASH-like show out there that, you know, that that, that helped explain this struggle. If they could do it the way we did it or even better, you know, it could be. It could be much more raw if they did it on cable or oh, one, yeah. of the, one of the web services because they can present stuff that we could only hint at. Um, and but uh, but that, there's part of me that thinks that actually that was the beauty of what you did. It's, there's well, nothing that, wrong that, with that, imagination. You don't yeah, have to see strange. the gore. You know, you don't have right. to see the hate. You don't have to see the fight to know the impact of a fight. Yeah, I agree with you. But uh, I'm I'm proud of what we did, and as far as I'm concerned, it happened way so far in the past that it's to me it's almost like it happened to somebody else. That's interesting you say that. Do you? Yeah. How much of it do you feel as if? Look, I think of you. I think of you in many roles. I mean, I and I feel as if though you gravitate to roles that tell meaningful stories. I think about your role and and the band played on. Um, yeah, you know what, what's interesting is. Uh, I pretty much always have been attracted to the writing of the script before I thought about the character. So sometimes I've, I, in fact, a good deal of the time I'd, I'd agree to do the part and then I'd say, how the hell am I going to play this character? I know <laughs> I, I, this person is nothing like me, which was the case with Hawkeye. I didn't, I didn't see how I was going to play that. It didn't seem like me at all. Is it easier to play somebody you're familiar with, or, or or does it turn out that acting and improving is better if you can be somebody else? Well, it's more fun if you can if you can slip into or hop into another person. It 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 really makes you feel like a million bucks. You find yourself being somebody you didn't know was in you, but it has to be somebody who eventually you find in you, or you find the spare parts in you that you can put together for that person. That's what I've found anyway. Because if it doesn't come out of some real place, it looks like acting. And I, I personally don't like to see acting. Did you, um, you've been politically, you're never, you're not shy. You're not somebody I, I consider that, you know, you, 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 you express every political opinion that you have. But you're not shy about the causes that you're passionate about. Do you ever think about taking that next step and running? No, never. Never. I, Why I, not? In fact. Well, because that's not my talent. My talent is what I'm trying to do. When I realized I had something to contribute with communication, I put an awful lot of my life into it because I saw that I could be helpful there. When I, But I started out from the time I was a, a boy knowing that I wanted to act and write and trying my whole life to get good at that. And and when they came to me two, twice, a political club from New Jersey came to the MASH set <laughs> and said, we want you to run for the Senate, the U.S. Senate. I said, <laughs> I said, well, uh, why? Well, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not experienced at that. I probably right. wouldn't be good at it. And they said, yeah, but you could get elected. 
So that's the criteria. Yeah, well, welcome, welcome, welcome to the group of people I cover every day. <laughs> there is, there's, there is a one qualification, uh, two, one qualification, well, two, U.S. citizen, uh, and an age qualification, and that's it. You know, right, we don't make these guys take and gals take a test. And you most know? of the time, you still have to be alive, but not always. Well, you just have to have a pulse. I think it's a <laughs> definition of living. Alan Alda, this well, was I, a lot of fun. The book is, if I understood you, would I have this look on my face? And trust me, it's an Alan Alda look, but it's a fun look uh, on his book. <laughs> go grab it. Go see it. Uh, Alan, thanks for coming on. This was great. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. All right. You've been listening to 1947. No, you haven't been transported back into time. It's the, it's our Meet the Press podcast. Remember, wherever you're listening to podcasts, go rate us, but only give us five stars. If you give us less, then we don't want that rating. Right? We want the best rating. I kid. We do actually read uh, your reviews, and we do try to correct uh, any technical issues that you have, so keep those coming. Uh, be sure to listen to our archived episode as well. Big thanks to my producers, uh, Justin Pellegri and uh, Matt Rivera this week. And until we meet again, you've been listening to 1947. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.